Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. One of the most obvious ways in which the born-again believer is distinguished from the non-believer is by the way in which he speaks. The unregenerate man, devoid of the indwelling Holy Spirit, inevitably reveals the true state of his heart by his words. Now, here Solomon deals with the man who harbours hatred in his heart and who gives expression to it, along with the man who similarly harbours hatred but conceals it and instead gives a pretense by his words of not holding malicious thoughts towards another. Now both these men are guilty of sin because the Christian's high calling is to love his neighbour which will also at times include even his enemy. This does not mean that we shall feel warmth and affection towards those who have wronged us or who seek our harm. But our yardstick must be that we must nevertheless treat these enemies as we would ourselves hope to be treated. Trusting that God will deal with them for their wrongdoing as he thinks fit. Now where there is clear and irrefutable evidence of wrongdoing in another person, we can speak the fact if necessity requires it. But we must speak that truth without malice in our hearts and with no attempt to blacken a reputation further than the plain facts do on their own. The person who conceals his hatred but feels it anyway is a fool because he forgets that nothing can be hidden from God. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. So whether a man verbally comes out with his hatred or whether he hides it in his heart but keeps on thinking it Both come under the strong disapproval of the Holy God. Now, let us think of Saul, King Saul, David's predecessor. He is a prime example of one who hid 
his hatred with lying lips. He spoke fair words to David, whilst at the same time desiring David's destruction. And so that dissembling, that deception, God loathes such an attitude. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. And so we see in the second part of that verse uh, that, of course, to slander another is an act of great foolishness. We must be very careful. We can state facts about another person where it is necessary, but if it is not necessary, then we must take great care not just to speak something because uh, we feel displeasure in our hearts, we've been offended, we've been hurt, but we must not succumb to the temptation to utter a slander. One who does that is a fool, says Solomon here. And he goes on concerning the whole matter of speech in verse 19. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. Now, the non-Christian only has an earthly perspective. He knows nothing of God's providence as he comments on the circumstances of life. We need to remember that when the media and others in authority are constantly telling us what we should do and how we should live, they do not know anything about God's providence if they are not regenerate. The non-believer will often speak with a lack of premeditation, a lack of forethought. By doing so, he says that which is offensive in the ears of the Holy God. The born-again believer, in contrast, realises that whatever he speaks... It is not just other human beings who are listening to his words, but that the Lord hears all. And that the Lord also knows about the heart which produces the words. Therefore, the fear of God puts a healthy caution upon the Christian's tongue. Because we fear God, we think very carefully about what we say. Matthew 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34. Our Lord is speaking to the Pharisees. 
And of course, he knows exactly the character of these people. And so he is making a truthful observation here, of course. He says, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Here we see what great store the Lord Jesus Christ sets upon the manner in which we speak. Indeed, on the day of judgment, our words will be crucial. Therefore, the Christian must carefully weigh his words. <clears throat> Will what I say be honouring to God? How will it affect those to whom or about whom I am speaking? Will my words unnecessarily stir up trouble? Is what I say being said with an awareness of all the salient facts and all the circumstances affecting the person about whom I speak? Are my words a premature resort to anger? And the Lord is teaching the Pharisees there in Matthew 12 that they must first be born again, be inwardly transformed, before their speech can begin to be wholesome speech. It is astonishing how much space God's word gives to the issue of how we use our tongues. Many parts, many verses of Proverbs deal with this. And of course in the New Testament, uh, James focuses much upon the use of the tongue. James 1 verse 19, uh, for example, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. And James 1 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. And notice again what a central role the use of the tongue 
is given by James there. Control of the tongue and caution in its use is the mark of true religion. And someone who is not controlling their tongue is not a true believer. That's what James is saying. So how we speak is an indispensable part of Christian holiness. We can believe all the right doctrines. We can be impeccable doctrinally. But if we can't control how we speak, our religion is vain. That's what the Bible says. Restraint upon the tongue is a sign of a true work of grace in the heart. James makes it clear that there are religious people who think themselves to be followers of God but who manifest that they are far off from God by the way they speak. So self-delusion is possible. James goes on in chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 5. James 3, verse 5. The tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Relative to other parts of the body, the, the tongue is very small. But what harm it can do. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. A tiny spark can set a forest on fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And so James is emphasising here that apart from regenerating grace, it is impossible to tame the tongue. Unwise words, he also says, defile a man's whole being. In other words, you can't separate the character of a person from that person's words. The words expose the corruption in the heart. Foolish words reveal a foolish person. The mouth of a snake is but a small part of its great long body. But from it 
becomes the poison which can kill a man. So it is with the tiny human tongue. What great harm it can do if not controlled by the power of God's grace. The tongue is able to incite all kinds of sinful passions. The whole world of iniquity, as James puts it. The whole range of human sin. So, the tongue can inspire all different kinds of sin. Worst of all, a man can use his tongue to blaspheme the name of Almighty God. Britain has abolished the blasphemy law. It's not a criminal offence in Britain, in all its 21st century enlightenment, to blaspheme the name of the Holy God who manifests himself in Jesus Christ. But how serious is the sin of blasphemy, using the tongue to attack the character of the all-holy God. Foolish words are like wildfire. They do widespread damage all around us. They affect the whole course of life and existence. An example is the great harm that an oft-repeated and widely believed lie can do. Men can tame wild horses, but they cannot tame their own tongues. Only the power of God's grace is able to do that. Two of the Ten Commandments deal with the use of the tongue. Exodus 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. How God will severely judge those who use their tongues to dishonour his holiness or who use his name to cover up a lie telling a falsehood in a court of law under oath for example the Lord will not hold him guiltless so that's the third commandment and then we see the ninth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour. Again, particularly dealing with the use of the tongue. How God abhors men using their tongues 
to pervert the course of his justice. Now, let's go back to our Lord's own teaching. Matthew 15, verse 11. Matthew 15, verse 11. Not that which entereth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which proceedeth out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Many people today are very concerned about what they eat. Fair enough. It's good to be careful. But it's not what enters into the mouth which defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. Scribes and the Pharisees set great store by ceremonial washing before they ate. How scrupulous they were as to what they actually ate. Yet those same sensitive mouths were willing to utter blasphemies against the Son of God. Now the reason that our words are so significant is because they reflect the state of our hearts. And God looks at the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Further on in Proverbs here, Proverbs 16, verse 27, we read, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. In his lips there is as a burning fire. It's a characteristic of the ungodly man. He uses his mouth to create great harm. And so, when a man is born again of God's Spirit, one of the most obvious effects of that wonderful conversion is the use of the tongue. People can be transformed overnight. And it's obvious to those around them, what's different about you? You're speaking in a different manner. It's the work of God's grace in the heart. It affects the tongue. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Again, we see the enormous emphasis in the Bible on the use of the tongue. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Enormous emphasis there on how we speak let evil speaking be put away from you. Let your words be that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace 
unto the hearers. In other words, people with whom we speak should be better off for having spoken to us, not worse off. Let's go back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 17, verse 27. Proverbs 17, 27. He that spareth his words hath knowledge. But he that is of a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. And so we see how we must be cautious about how we speak. This is what uh, Solomon uh, is teaching us here in these verses. Verse 19 of chapter 10. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Solomon says similarly in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 10.14, A fool also multiplieth words, yet man knoweth not what shall be. A fool's words often expose his lack of belief in the providence of God. He brashly says that such and such will happen when he knows nothing of the sort. And a man might be very learned and be full of certain expertise in a given area of study, but he still has to be cautious with his words. Man knoweth not what shall be. Ecclesiastes 10.14 And so people should take care when they constantly tell us, for example, that the world is heading into a climate change disaster. Because God's word says that man knoweth not what shall be. fool says I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that I'm going to achieve this I'm going to achieve that again James deals with that presumption James 4 verse 13 James 4 verse 13 go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into this city and spend a year there and trade and get gain whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow we must never speak as if we know the future. We know what our circumstances are going to be. Ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall both live and do this or that. So we must not be presumptuous about what we are going to achieve. We will not achieve anything apart from the grace of God causing us to go along our course. 
Again, emphasizing the absolute centrality of the use of the tongue, James says in James 3 and verse 2, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. I think this is fascinating. The word of God is telling us that a man who can control his tongue is a man who has learned to control all other aspects of his behaviour. Because the tongue is the hardest thing of all to control. But no one can ever begin to do this unless he first possesses the Holy Spirit having believed in Christ. Now David went through periods in his life when he was much perplexed by the successes of wicked men all around him and often against him. But he says this in Psalm 39 and verse 1. Psalm 39 verse 1. I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. And so even under extreme provocation, David saw the necessity to guard his tongue and not to say anything that he would subsequently regret. And so when Saul was trying to kill him, he could have said, I'm going to get rid of this evil man and become king myself. But thankfully, he didn't allow the flesh to rise up and cause him to say that. He waited upon the providence of God. But David was well aware how the flesh can cause the tongue to sin. Now Solomon goes uh, on in the passage here in verse 20 uh, to say the tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. That's an interesting analogy. Likening the tongue to a precious metal. What's the connection there? Well, choice silver is silver from which all impurities have been removed. Our tongues should have all impurity removed from them. And again, if we look at this verse 20, we see a close connection between the tongue and the heart. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. Notice how the Holy Spirit makes that automatic connection. Because the tongue reveals the state of the heart. Now, if we move on uh, to Proverbs 25, verse 11, we have another very beautiful image concerning the tongue. Uh, Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken 
is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. So we are thinking here of ornamental apples which are set in silver frames creating a a wonderful sight to behold. How we speak can be something beautiful. Something that people cherish. Something that another person can take away with them and it makes them warm on the inside. Wouldn't it be wonderful if if we had that gift to warm the hearts of others by a fitly spoken word? The Christian speech should be beautiful and pure and of real worth. And then Solomon says in verse 21 here, the lips of the righteous feed many. The lips of the righteous feed many. The righteous man, having believed in Christ, is now doing something useful with his life. And he will accordingly tend to speak useful words, edifying those around him. The wicked man's heart, however, is full of corruption. This will also be manifested in the way the wicked man speaks. And so, as we have said, our speech is the best barometer of our hearts. It's the best barometer. Our words should be nourishment to those with whom we speak. The lips of the righteous feed many. Are we feeding, nourishing people by the way we speak? Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. This takes us back to verse 20. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The words of the Lord himself, of course, are absolutely pure, and we must emulate our Lord. The words of the Lord are as silver, choice silver, which has had all the impurities removed, purified seven times, complete purification. Now, we won't reach complete purification, but we should be striving for it. And so if we are born again of God's Spirit, our speech should reflect the very purity of God himself. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we self-consciously use religious-sounding language. That's not what is being meant here. But rather, it means that there should be a wholesomeness about what we say, which is of real benefit to the person with whom we speak. Uh, And this is why uh, we read from Colossians 4 earlier on. Uh, Colossians 4, verse 6. Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So our word should be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Well, again, it's a similar metaphor to the choice silver in the sense that salt prevents corruption and impurity. Salt enlivens the taste. Our speech must be salted with wholesomeness. For example, we must never speak lightly of sin, as if it's some kind of joking matter. The man who is not born again cannot control his tongue. We're told in the second half of verse 21 here, fools die for want of wisdom. This is the contrast to the lips of the righteous feeding many, but fools die for want of wisdom. The fool is the unrighteous man, the unbeliever, who has within himself the seeds of his own destruction. And this is manifested by how he speaks. Fools die for want of wisdom. Flagrant sin may even lead to premature death. Why should God prolong the lives of those who use their days to defy him? A man in Uxbridge on Friday walked past shouting horrible blasphemies against the Lord Jesus Christ. Every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. If we go back to chapter 3 of Proverbs here. Proverbs 3 verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Keeping the commandments of God, leading holy lives, actually has a tendency to longer life. The Bible clearly teaches that. In contrast, however, we are told in Proverbs 10.21, fools die for want of wisdom. How little do the unbelievers realise that they may actually be shortening their physical lives by their rebellion against God. Mm. 
The foolish rejection of Christ will also eternally die. The eternal condemnation of God is what the Bible calls the second death because it follows the first death of the body. Men will endure this second death because they lacked the wisdom of God. Fools die for want of wisdom. Man in his fallen nature has an enormous deficiency of understanding. This will often be reflected by the way he speaks. What a difference there will be between the way a man regenerated by the Spirit of God will speak and the way a man who is still dead in trespasses and sins will speak. Let's go back to verse 20. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The unbeliever without the Holy Spirit has a heart full of corruption. And this will show itself in his speech. Of course, the goal of righteous speech and uttering wholesome gracious words uh, we see the supreme example of this being carried out in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't it have been wonderful to hear him speak there would never be an idle word Luke 4 verse 22 Luke 4 Verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They were amazed at how he spoke because it was just so different to how even the religious leaders were speaking. So speech is so important. And to guide us in the way we speak, uh, the Apostle Peter has some very sound advice. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing. So that there will be people who are going to really annoy us. And they will be in the wrong. We, we might be in the right. They will really annoy us. They will really hurt us. They will really upset us. Well, how are we going to respond to that as Christians? Are we going to give as good as we got? Or is our speech going to be seasoned with salt, characterised by grace? Peter goes on in, in 1 Peter 3 there. Knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing, 
For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. And so Peter says there that those who love life and desire to see good days, they must refrain their tongues from evil. So what an enormous contrast these verses are bringing out between the Christian and the non-Christian, the regenerate man and the man who's living in the flesh. And the contrast is so often seen in the way people speak. Well, may we ensure that we are trusting in Christ and not among the fools who show by their speech that they will eternally die for want of God's wisdom. Let us remember that the state of the believer's heart and the unbeliever's heart is made known by the way they speak. The words reveal the state of the heart. So may the Lord help each one of us to use our tongues to his own glory. And may the Lord help us, even in this coming week, to cause our speech to be always seasoned with salt. May the Lord cause our words to be a blessing to those around us, to his own glory. Amen.